This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. If you think that your payment system exists solely for the purpose of transferring money from a customer's wallet to yours, think again. Braintree. Rethink payments. Learn more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. This is the Forbes interview on Podcast One. And I'm your host, Steve Bertoni. On this show, I'll do deep dive interviews with billionaires, entrepreneurs, and influencers. These are the faces you see on the cover of Forbes. And if they aren't in the cover, they easily could be. All right. Well, welcome to the show today. I'm very excited to have John Paul DeGioia, who is an entrepreneur who's created not just one, but two billion dollar companies, Paul Mitchell uh, Systems for, for Hair, and of course, Patron Spirits. And as we wrote in Forbes before, JP gets you clean with shampoo and uh, sloppy with uh, tequila. So thank you for coming on. I figure we make you look pretty and feel good. <laughs> I leave out the sloppy part. That works too. <laughs> That's amazing. And you and so JP, talk to me. You're always I mean I've been, I've known you forever. You never sit still. You're always creating new products, new brands, new philanthropies. Yep. Uh, what is going on now? What's the newest thing? Well, a couple of things. One, we're going to help out with Obamacare, but let me go to Obio. That's interesting. 3.7 billion people on the planet. That's two out of every 3 have the cold sore virus. So I worked with these fellows at a few universities over many years, and we came out with a plant-based product uh, that is unbelievable. In fact, we did double-blind studies, and it worked on 93% of all people. 93% of all people reported that either it did not come out when they put Obvio on, or after two days it was gone. The other 7% that it didn't disappear, said so they would continue to use it because they got rid of the pain. So that's that's pretty exciting. Uh, we have it where it's merchandise because I wanted everybody to afford it. So it's only $29, that's it. And we already have it in Target, CVS, Rite Aid, and it's about to go into another couple big groups nationwide. But uh, it seems to work. I know everyone I've ever given it to, it works on 100% of everyone I've ever given to. And when you come out with a cold sore, you feel a tingle. Well, you put it on like every hour or so, and there's a strong possibility it won't even come out. But if it comes out, you put it on every hour or two, and usually within two days, the majority of people, it's gone, like 93%. It's gone. So you've made a fortune in kind of two sexy areas, you know, salons and hair care and, and spirits and, and booze. How do you go from that to kind of a more, uh, you know, visceral uh, cold sore market? How do, you, how do you choose that? Good question. The way I did is because I, I think that's part of the beauty target. Because when you have a cold sore, you don't want to go to work. You want to cover your mouth, cover your nose, wherever the cold sore is. So I think it keeps people more beautiful when they get a cold sore. So, and it was natural. I'm all for natural plants. So when I started investing millions into this, especially for the research and uh, getting it ready for market, uh, I knew that it would help out the majority of people. I also knew that since I was a majority shareholder, that I could help with the price. Well, they wanted to come out with this mother partner at a lot more money, but I wanted affordable with everybody, so we got it down to $29.95 retail. And I think that's good for people and makes them look better. How do you how did you get this idea? Did you did someone pitch this to you to begin with, or did you always find that there was a market for this kind of no, uh, you know, Steve, Steve uh, another good question. Uh, a friend of mine came to me and said, JP. I'm working on these plants that the Native Americans have been using for years. And here's all the great stuff it does. I thought, well, that's fine. He gave me a bunch of samples. I put them in my desk. And I told my assistant, I said, hey, if anyone comes up with a cold sore or whatever, just give it to them, see if it works. Well, a few months later, 
they started using it and everyone they used it on said, this is a miracle. It really, really works exceptionally well, better than anything they've ever used. So I thought, wow, you know, let, let me look further into this. And we did. And of course, we expanded it, went into manufacturing, went into getting the, even the better agreements to the double blight studies. But it's over the counter. It's not a prescription drug. It's over the counter. What's this magical plant that you use? Well, it's a series of magical plants. One of them in there is Saracenian. It comes from the carnivorous plant family, like, you know, Venus flytraps and such. Because you figure they've survived millions of years, and they eat mosquitoes, flies, everything. But build up such a system to any, I guess, you know, diseases these guys must carry. They have an immune system to it, so they continue to live. Well, it was so strong that it handles a lot of things in the world. In fact, just recently a friend had called me, and their uh, their son had a pimple. They put on the pimple. The pimple was gone the next day. I thought, <laughs> we're doing double-blind studies now on, on pimples. So we could say, hey, out of so many people, the pimple's gone the next day. Well, that's a multi-multi-billion so, dollar market if you can tag yeah, all that. And- that's it. We, we plan to get it. And you're um, like a branding master. You know, you first started out, you know, distributing your shampoo through those distinct bottles and through a very interesting method of only selling through salons. So the best people sell your shampoo. And then you moved on to Patron Tequila. High-end tequila didn't exist before. You had the beautiful, distinct bottles. You're an expert at branding and delivery. How do you go from that to medicine? Is there a, like a DeJoria secret on Abio and how you get this to, to people? Well, the thing is it worked. And then when I found out that uh, two-thirds of all the people have the cold sore virus on the planet, I knew it'd be something good. And what we did was very interesting. When we gave the presentations, I have a staff that's incredible. My God, Rachel and Scott just do a knockout job. But when they went to the interviews, they gave samples to the people. Well, if you're in a room full of people, quite a few of them are going to have cold sores whether they talk about it or not. All of a sudden, we started getting calls back from people saying, oh, my God, this stuff really works. Let's push you to the head of the lines so instead of waiting a year to shell space. We got it rather rapidly. But how does that stand out? I mean, so, you know, you go down that aisle, there's all the weird tubes and, and whatnot. How, does, how do people know it's from you and how do they know that this is actually a working agent, not just some lip balm or something you put on top? Right. Well, that's the thing. We have a lip balm, too. We have a lip balm and a gel. The lip balm sells for $10 retail, which is very reasonable. Well, they really don't. We've done little to no advertising on it, and the packaging is really classy looking. So it stands out from the rest. However, we're changing that now to put on there a few other little things like it really works. <laughs> and we're also now going into advertising and promotion. The major- We've already tried magazines, a little bit of TV, but we're really hitting social media hard in these next three or four months. Really, really hard to let people know about it. And if you look at two-thirds of the population of the cold survivors, that's not bad. That's good. You got the whole thing covered. You drink a little too much Patron. You have a little too much fun. You might get a cold sore the next day, and then you, you everyone got covered with Abio. So it's it's good it's good uh, strategy right there, JP. And the other one that's doing rather well, and I believe I launched it with you a little over a year ago, was Rock Mobile. You know, the the federal government and our government are great people. A lot of good people that work there, but they're very slow at doing things. We're looking at Obamacare disappearing. Well, what does the common man do if he doesn't have Obamacare? What does he do? So we've added something on to Rock Mobile that's going to be a helping hand. I wish the government was able to do things like that. So as you already know, on Rock ROK Mobile, you have all your phone calls, all your texting, all your data, all your music, $100,000 worth of life insurance, accidental life insurance, $20,000 worth of burial insurance, telemedicine, seven days a week, 
24 hours a day, you've got a doctor at the other end of the phone looking at you in your smartphone and telling you what may be wrong with you. And at the same time, if you wrote your prescription, you save a lot of money on it. In addition to that, we have $1,000 legal advice. However, here's the biggie. That's for $49.95. Wait, Jay, let, me, but, Jay, let me step back for a second because I'm not sure everyone knows. So Rock Mobile is your, your new uh, mobile platform, right? A new mobile platform, uh, and there's no contract on it. People sign up $49.99 a month. And that's all good. But when Obamacare took place, and uh, all of a sudden now they're going to repeal Obamacare, we thought that small businesses – Besides telemedicine, you have a lot of people that want to go see a doctor. So we have worked out with one of the largest insurance companies that exists today, a health care system. We're for an additional $29 or 30, call it $30 a month, mm-hmm. $30 a month. You get all your doctor visits you want with a $10 copay. That's it. Try and beat that one. The majority of people go to a doctor, don't go to the hospital. But it's a all of your doctor visits, unlimited, only a $10 copay. That's it. How do you squeeze all that in? I mean, in terms of you're offering people, you know, free music, free wireless, free data, and now, you know, very discounted, you know, healthcare. First of all, how do you think about adding, like, how, does, how do you put that together, A? And B, how do you make that affordable and make money on it? Yeah, how do you afford it? Exactly. Well, a big thing here is I've always dealt in cash. So this whole thing has been subsidized by me personally. Mm -hmm. And my partner put a little bit. So we have no debt. We have no interest to pay. Now, that's a huge help. And as you know, I like to work with fewer moving parts. So if I get 40 people to do something that took 400 to do, I'll get the top 40 people to do it. So that's how we do those things. Then, of course, we sit down with the phone companies, with the music companies, with the medical companies, the insurance companies, and let them know that. This will be building into the multi-millions now. And for them, they get a lot more. So it's like the quantity of people they have lowers down the price. But the quality is still there. Pretty exciting. Yeah, how many people do you have signed up for Rock right now? Can you share that? Well, I couldn't tell you exactly right now. The reason I can't tell you is because of another phone company that we're dealing with, we're under a confidentiality with them right now. So I can't really disclose the actual amount, and they have a good reason for not wanting to disclose it right now, but it's it's not, it's good. We're, we're moving in a great, great directions, and we have quite a few people jumping on board with us. Well, you have such an incredible story, um, and I would love to take everyone back to the origins of kind of your entrepreneurial adventures when you were, I believe you were living in, an, in a car temporarily uh, in, in Los Angeles. You started yeah. your door-to-door shampoo company, on $700, yep. and now Paul Mitchell has a billion dollars in sales. Take me through that story again, because I think it's, it's, it's such a great lesson for everyone, whether you're in business or in life or philanthropy. I want to hear the story again. Oh, you bet. Uh, it was a matter of where I knew I needed a half a million dollars to start this company back in early 1980. Well, our backer pulled out to the last minute the backer pulled out, like the day the money was supposed to arrive, the backer pulled out. Because inflation in the United States was double digit, interest rates were real high double digit, and uh, we had hostages in Iran, you still wait in line for gasoline. Not a good time to invest in the United States, and unemployment was over 10%. Mm. Uh, so the backer pulled out. Between my partner and I, we only came up with $700. Uh, 
I was too proud to tell my mother, mom, I left my last job. I'm on the street now. Can I have my own room back? Uh, you know, I left my family. I left them all the money I had. So they're okay for many, many months. I was too proud. So I lived in my car for a few weeks. But uh, it took us about two years to pay our bills on time. Now, one may wonder, especially a new entrepreneur, how in the world do you start a business, have an address, have invoices, and even have an office for $700 and launch a company? Most of what we had was on 30-day credit. An answering machine in a friend's house was our office. <laughs> I, I put a young lady that I knew had a British accent answering the phone on the answering machine, so we seemed like we were a lot bigger, even though it was only two of us. <laughs> I used the PO box as our address, and in those days, I went to a typesetter, a print shop, to set the type, John Paul Mitchell Systems, Universal City, California, the phone number. And then we'd make photocopies for uh, four cents each in those days. And then what we would do is take that same piece of paper, that same stationery, draw lines in it, and make invoices. So we seemed like we were a lot bigger than we were. Before. And it was a struggle. It took us two years just to pay our bills on time. But we believed what we had was correct. And if I might make a couple suggestions Absolutely. to your entrepreneurs, is there, there's two big things that are very, very helpful. One is, as an entrepreneur, you must be prepared for a lot of rejection. Not just rejection, maybe in your own personal life for what you're doing, but business rejection. People saying no, people saying you can't do it. Door slammed in your face. If you know you're gonna get a lot of rejection, if you know it in advance, it's not gonna hurt you as much. So when you knock on door number 51 or door number 101, you're just as enthusiastic as the first door you knocked on, very important. The second thing is do not be in the selling business. Worst thing you could ever do is just wanna sell something to somebody. Mm -hmm. you wanna be in the reorder business. So the quality of your service or your product is so good People that use it will want to reorder it or tell friends about it. And that's got to be your thinking, not just how do I get it out there and push it on somebody, but how can it be so good they're going to want to reorder the product that I have. And I think those are very important things for you know entrepreneurs to know. And of course, the entrepreneur does things that others don't want to. They work the hours. But no matter how big your company is, you're always looking for entrepreneurial things. And I think you've already been told, at least I think you have, about Neon, our new collection. It's the first ever teen millennial collection ever brought out for hair where we're targeting that teen market. Mm. So we, we try out and reinvent ourselves with Paul Mitchell all along. And Paul Mitchell Day is worth far in excess of a billion dollars. Uh, if you go by the stock market value, it's quite a bit more yeah. than that. But we're in a lot of things. We're in manufacturing schools, things of that nature. But we do very, very well. But we realize every year, and we plan this way, that you have to reinvent yourself every year or do something unique on a regular basis or upgrade what you have to make it better in order to stay in business and grow. And you know, we've been very, very lucky at uh, Paul Mitchell. You know, Constant growth for 37 years. Patron, which is now 27 years old, my God. Still growing. In fact, 2016, we grew double digit, far in excess of 10%. Wow. So it's. Is that, in America, you know, is that mostly America or is that around the world? Oh, uh, that's mostly America, but international is definitely growing. Definitely growing. Uh, so there was a company that, you know, it started uh, 27 years ago that I believe today has a value of over $5 billion uh, and growing, which we like very, very much. But even these good first class brands, 
you must always work on. An example, and I think we did this together a few years ago. We were coming out with our Roca Patron. We tasted first. So you have Patron, you have Patron Platinum, Bordeaux, you have Patron Exo Cafe, and now we have the Patron Roca, a little more higher end, a little higher content of alcohol, but even smoother. Mm -hmm. So people should know whether you have a large business or start a business, you've got to always think about reordering, reordering, that's what you want people to do, and always give them something unique. So they're looking forward to something that's very, very exciting. And Patron started as a hobby of yours, right? You started as a personal interest. Did you you ever think Uh, you'd be getting into the tequila business? Oh, no, not at all. In fact, when my friend went down there, uh, a fellow I put in the architectural business to buy some pavers and uh, furniture in Mexico, I had to bring back a couple of bottles of just whatever the aristocrats drank, whatever he thought was a good tequila. So he brings back a couple of just nondescript bottles, and it was smoother than anything I ever tasted. But he said, JP, I met this guy named Francisco Alcarez. He said he can make it even smoother and better. I said, well, this is so good. And Paul Mitchell was doing quite well in uh, 1989. So I said, well, you know, this is nice. Let's, uh, let me order 1,000 cases, which is 12,000 bottles. And I said, it's so good. And if we do it with this one bottle that Martin found and do it in recycled glass, hey, if it never sold, I could always give it away for the next 10 years for anything, birthdays, christening, you know, whatever it might be, you got a bottle of Patron. <laughs> anyway, so I thought that's, that's my backup. And as it came out, it wasn't an easy one. And, and people should know these things aren't easy. I think there's 200 people going after Patron today. Well, of course, you know, we're, we're, we're far ahead as the leader in, in the category. But when we came out with it, we had to sell it for $37 a bottle. I think the average patron or, or bottle of tequila was around five dollars. Your better ones were fourteen, so it wasn't easy starting out. We had to let people sample it and know that it's worth the extra money to treat themselves. Once people realized that, it, it just took off. And because we kept the quality, very important people when you grow a business, keep the quality. When you get big, you normally go to bigger vats to make it in. Well, we didn't. We found if we did that, it wasn't the same. So we bought a whole bunch of smaller ones, <laughs> pounded out of copper, and making it the same way we made it originally. So it never changed the quality of that product. And that's very important. You may be able to make it cheaper in larger quantities, but if it takes away from the quality, don't do it because you won't be in the reorder business anymore. And Patron is it's handmade in small batches in Mexico, proudly made in Mexico, which kind of goes against the current environment with uh, President Trump and walls and import tax and all that. You're on the ground of that. What do you and you're from and you live in Texas. So what do you what's your take on the current environment, Trump's plans when it comes to Mexico specifically? And what does that mean for you and your company? Yeah, first of all, Trump's plan, and he's got to think this one out, is not going to work on 20% import on everything coming to the United States, even from Mexico. Uh, because if you do that, Mexico doesn't pay for it. The U.S. consumer pays for it. May I give you an example? Please. And I, it's good to have Mexico as a partner. Mexico in 2002 made in their refineries about 3.8 billion, I'm sorry, million barrels a day of, of you know hydrocarbon products, gas, oil, and so forth. Today they only make 2.2 million a day. Now, why did they go down so far? They went down so far because they didn't have the extra money to rebuild the refineries, mm-hmm. and they were a nationalized company. 
Now they're more open to letting somebody from the outside come in and work with them in partnerships to rebuild those refineries. They let run down so they could not produce the same. Mexico, for example, exports to the United States about 400,000 barrels a day. But they need it as an import. Mm -hmm. So besides exporting that, they are now buying gas and oil back from the United States. So you got to have them as a good partner. And if everything coming out of Mexico is charged 20%, it goes to the consumer. Now, what's a better idea? Mr. Trump, during your campaigning, you said that what upset you was that a lot of U.S. companies are going down there, making, let's say, their cars, whatever, a lot cheaper, Coming back with it, Mexican labor's involved, U.S. labor's not involved, so we're gonna tax everybody 20%, build a giant wall, Mexico will pay for it. Well, that's not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. But what is a better idea? Let's say, for example, a motor car company in the United States, a big one, makes some of their cars in Mexico. They save 20 or 30% by doing that. Well, how about this? If you're gonna do that, now you must pay a duty coming in where maybe there's a 5% difference, okay? The rest goes right to duty. Mm -hmm. Well, this is gonna be an incentive for people bringing their business back to the United States and not hurting Mexico too much, and at the same time, not hurting the people and still adding a little bit to the profit line. I also feel that when taxes come down for corporations, and in general, taxes are readjusted where it's more fair, well, people have the incentive to make things here in the United States opposed to abroad. Would you ever make uh, Patron in, in Texas? Can't do it. Patron has to be made in the highlands of uh, Altaltaneo there in the, uh, in the area that's called tequila. We could not make it in Mexico. It has to be made. It's like champagne. You cannot put champagne on your label unless it's made in a certain area of France. What's well, the same with tequila? It must be done in the certain area of uh, Mexico. It's known as tequila. We cannot make it in the United States. We're forbidden to. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Braintree. A lot of businesses, too many, think of payments as a mechanical function. It just needs to work. But your payments solution can be an engine for growth. It can help up your conversion rates. It can help tap you into market growth. It can help allay security concerns that are limiting your customer's spending. And payments can be a way to provide new experiences to your customers. You want to grow your business? Rethink your payments. Braintree. Rethink Payments. Find out more at braintreepayments.com slash Forbes. Hey everyone, I'm Maggie McGrath, a staff writer at Forbes magazine and your new host for a show called Forbes on Trump. Politicians are all talk, no action. I'll be speaking with the editors and writers who are reporting on the 45th president. We'll hear what they're finding out about his wealth, his business associates, and the ways in which he and his policies are affecting the economy, consumers, and all aspects of the business world. Somebody has to come out and tell it like it is. Along the way, we'll dive into Forbes archives, which contain decades of information that will add context to the current White House administration. So listen to this. Listen to this. That's Forbes on Trump on Podcast One. Subscribe now at iTunes, and don't forget to rate, review, and share. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on everything you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals to help you save during our spring Black Friday sale, like Bonnie Vegetable and Herb Plants, four for $10. And for a clean-looking landscape, pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch for just $10. Whatever's on your spring to-do list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417, not valid on Alaska or Hawaii. Bonnie offer valid on 19-ounce pots. See store for details, U.S. only. Has the Trump administration in the current climate, how does that 
ch- is that changed how you run businesses or as you know running two giant companies do you have meetings all the time about what the government might do to change things or you kind of wait and see and just trust the brand and trust the sales some of our color comes from Italy because they have some of the best in the world. Mm-hmm. But other than that, the majority of everything I made is made here in the United States of America. That is, you know, that's the majority of what we make, uh, especially all the liquids. So it's very, very interesting that would it affect me? No, it's not going to affect me that much. Mm-hmm. Would it affect me on export? Only if they came and up the export. But here's something people don't realize. And so I'm kind of for rewriting NAFTA a little bit. If I ship products from Paul Mitchell into Mexico, I have to pay a 16% duty. Well, it should be fair both ways. You know, yeah. you're going to have retailers make it for everybody. However, with Patron, it's a different story. But we know the consumer is going to handle that cost. You know, we'll pass it on to our distributor. We'll pass it on to the retailer who will pass it on to the consumer. So we don't think that's a very good idea for things that have to be made in Mexico. Now, I may, may add something else on, too, if I might. Please, I was, please uh, do. One of the major, actually, on a couple of the major worldwide uh, news networks here about a month ago. In fact, they even did a special on uh, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day on this. JP, how bad is Trump going to ruin things? Because every, or not everybody, a lot of people don't like him. I said, well, let's look at something and look at the positive side. What's the number one thing people don't like about Trump? Some say, well, he's ripped off so many people in his life that it'll be hard for him to have credibility to other people. But the biggest one above that, they say, is, well, his demeanor. Yeah. I mean, you know, the guy comes across not as a very nice person. He's the most egotistical person they've ever seen run for office. I say, aha, let's take that. Perhaps this man, with his ego, who refers to himself as Trump, and not usually I am doing this, and sometimes it's I, <laughs> but it's Trump. Maybe his ego is so big that when he did become president, he says, wow, I'm president of the United States. How about this? I want Trump to go down in history as a good president. So by gosh, I'm going to do things that are good for all the people. Let's see if he'll do that. He just might do that so everybody will benefit. Maybe it's going to happen. But why was he elected? He was elected, and again, with all due respect, a lot of Democrats voted for him that did not like him at all because they're not happy with business as usual. They don't think the Republican Party did a good enough job. They don't think the Democratic Party did enough good job. They wanted change. And even though some of them didn't like the man, and many did like the guy, obviously, they wanted change. And that's what he represents. So just perhaps uh, there might be some change. What I would suggest to the man is before you make a statement, think it out a little bit and talk to somebody positive on how to deliver that statement and not freak people out. But he's got a good shot of being a good president if he truly wants to go down to history as a good president. Quick, on quick question on that. On top, of, I mean, speaking of Trump and and criticism, at least in New York and people I speak with, there's a real fear out there, especially from young, especially from women, for women's rights and equality. Well, and you, you know, you made your first fortune off, you know, you service the the, the female clientele. How do you feel well, on that? Because I'm, I know you're very, you have a, your fingers definitely on the pulse of that community. How do you feel yeah, I, with him and women? I don't think that uh, Donald Trump is going to do something really stupid that's going to affect women. Because number one, if he did, the majority of the United States will be up in arms about it. Talk about women protesting. You're going to have men out there protesting also saying that, hey, wait a minute, man, you're not going to take the rights away from my lady. That's just not going to happen. 
So I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think if they try and take away women's rights, whether it's the Supreme Court or whether it's through an action that's done uh, executive order, whatever that might be, I don't think that's going to happen. I think there's going to be too much backlash on that and against the Republican Party as well as Donald Trump that I really don't think that's going to happen. He may talk that way in order to get the extreme right vote. Mm -hmm. But uh, a, a lot of the extreme right, uh, you know, uh, maybe for it, but there's more people that are totally against that. Well, you're you're a marketing genius, and everyone I know, there still is whether he does something or not. There still is a real fear from that segment. What would you do? What What does he need to do to not have people like him, but kind of reduce that fear and loathing they're feeling right now? Oh, I would do things like, for example, take Paul Watson of the Sea Shepherd and make him as an appointed office a little one. But make him, for example, head of the Whaling Commission. Oh, my God, he knows more about saving whales than anybody. That's a great step in the right direction. Show that he truly cares about someone that will do it and not be worried about Japan as a country saying, well, don't do that because, you know, we want to arrest Paul because he stopped us in the seas illegally mm. hunting and killing whales to bring back to Japan. But how, about the, how about on the women issue, though? I think on the women issue that uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Once again, I just think there's just too many people that don't want that to happen. I know, just but I'm saying, what, what can he do as a, as a communicator? What, how can he communicate to the country? Because I know you grew up in the, the female-style fashion world. What can yeah. he do? What message can he give people to, like I said, not like him, but just trust him more, I guess? He could do this. He could just say this, that, hey, many are for, let's say, taking away some of these rights. However, I'm the president of the United States. No matter what I think or others think that may have contributed, for example, to me being elected, I'm going to go with whatever the nation wants. Mm -hmm. Now, if an appointee to the Supreme Court is an appointee that is against women's rights, it's what does the nation want? If an appointee changes a law but the majority of the nation doesn't want that changed, we have something uh, in the United States of America that is called impeach him. He'll be impeached. There's no doubt. I mean, there'd be such an uproar on that when he'd be impeached. So I think we have that checks and balances. I think America still works. Yeah. As messed up as we may have been, as maybe ineffective as either party was, and they could have truly been a lot better, I think America still works. Okay. And just real quick, I want to jump from politics back to business. How do you, you know, you're an entrepreneur. Um, how do you... How do you run all these different companies? I, I know I heard you have a very unique corporate culture and a very unique way of organizing and managing. What is the secret to running all these different companies under one roof and staying on top and keeping everything growing? Sure. I think for me, the biggest secret is no disrespect now. I don't have email. I don't even turn a computer on. Of course, we're state of the art in our companies because I'd be on that email all day long. I'd rather call you by phone. Talk to my executives. I have the best presidents, the best buy. I have the best staff with all my companies, the best people imaginable. So I delegate and let them go ahead and redelegate whatever they want out there because I have that much confidence in them. Mm -hmm. And then in life, you learn along the way to pay attention to the vital few and ignore the trivia many. I used to want to do everything. I learned more and more that no, you can't do everything. Find those vital things, stay on top of them, but keep that same culture. Our culture is giving back. The end customer is the most important person. Do something that really benefits them. And while you're doing that, benefit the planet for people and for the planet as much as you can. 
Now your culture continues in giving back. And when you feel that way, you love what you do. An example is that John Paul Mitchell Systems, I'm 37, now pushing 38 years old with that company. Our turnover has been less than 100 people in all that time. And we're in 96 countries throughout the world. What is the secret of that? Is the culture of treating people as if they're some of the most important assets you have. And they are. Treating them the way you'd want to be treated. So when they work, they're not working. They love what they're doing, and they put love into it, and they put excellence into it. And that is a big secret. And I think I read somewhere that one time the uh, CIA called you in to give them some of your uh, management and productivity tips. Was that, was that true? Oh, yeah. Well, on more than one occasion, <laughs> I, I have been to Langley uh, and training the CIA, but I'm, I'm not an agent, obviously. But uh, what I trained them in is or have trained them in is management motivation. How to be a better, more, believe it or not, a better, more loving manager, because when people are in love with the way they're managed and the way they work, they don't leave you. The CIA is like any organization. It's big and it has turnover. But the, the fewer things you do. Fewer moving parts. The more people love what they do, the less the turnover is, and they're they're happier. So, what did you tell the CIA? What is there a few? What were the few? Any? What are the tricks? What well, the trick? Well, some of it is handle a piece of paper once. In the CIA, if they can handle a piece of paper a hundred times, they're doing much better. But in management, which is another good thing to pass on to all your listening audience, in management, I'll give you one tip. Whenever you reprimand somebody. Do it one-on-one, behind closed doors, never in front of anybody else. Mm-hmm. When you reprimand them, be prepared in advance to tell them what they did incorrectly, because a lot of people think they're doing it right. What they did incorrectly, how they should do it correctly, the way you'd like it done, and why. And third and most important, before they leave that office, tell them something they did good already anyways, and how much you appreciate them and you value them. This way, they don't walk out of the office all bummed out and you're, you, you have to deal with covert hostility because they're so upset. Now, it's the complete opposite with praising somebody. Mm-hmm. When you want to praise them, praise them as loud as you can in front of as many people as you can, at least one other person, hopefully even more people, so everyone hears them. People love to be praised in public. And what, what's the um, touch one piece of paper trick? What, I, can you explain that a little more? You bet. Handle a piece of if- paper only once? Yeah, if I get correspondence, you know, whether it's an email or anything or a letter, if I get a letter, a handwritten letter, a type letter to me, I'll normally answer that letter and write on it in my own handwriting. If I have an email, for example, do the same thing, tell them to fax it back or, or, or swipe it and, you know, send it right back to them. So you handle it once. If it's something you can handle on the spot or give them a quick answer, do it. If it's a phone call you have to make, and even though you think it's going to slow you down, it won't. Make that phone call immediately if you can. If it's something that should be uh, handled by somebody else, immediately send it to them. Mm-hmm. If it's trash or trivia, throw it away immediately. Don't have stacks all over your desk. Perfect. So just no procrastination. Just do it. Just, just do it, do it on and the spot. It. And, and, and you've given us a lot of time, but I definitely want to touch you if you have time on philanthropy because I know it's a big – Please. It's, it's a, my favorite it's a huge part of your life, and it's also a huge part of both your companies. When did you right. When did you get interested in philanthropy and start becoming active in it? Six years old, when we had nothing. My mom took my brother and I to downtown L.A. at Christmas time. Fellow was ringing the bell. My mom gave my brother and I a dime and said, boys, hold half of this dime each. Go put in that red bucket. We did. Went back and said, mom, 
that's a dime. In those days, it was two big soda pops mm-hmm. <laughs> or three candy bars. Why would we give them a dime? She said, boys, that's the Salvation Army. And they help out people that have no food and no place to live. Remember, as long as you live, there'll be always someone in need more than you. Boys, we could only afford 10 cents this year, but it's something. We're making a contribution. Mm -hmm. And we felt really good about that. It always stuck with me. And I knew, boy, if ever I had time, even if I had no money, I'd donate time to try and do something to help other people out. And when I finally had some money, I would donate money, but I would always donate my time. And as you may be aware that, uh, my God, we just launched another boat, actually a ship with the Sea Shepherd. And we now have nine in our fleet. And when we launched the ship, and they happened to name it the John Paul de Joria, which is good <laughs> to run down these poachers and stop mm-hmm. them. Uh, when it was launched, I flew in there. I flew in there, did a press conference with everybody on how important the Sea Shepherd is to the planet and to maintaining the status quo of the oceans before it all goes away. And if whales go, for example, or dolphins go, or even sharks disappear, mm-hmm. the ocean will. It's part of the ecosystem. And how do you choose your um, your I guess how do you choose your your missions? I mean, it's you you always have very interesting um, uh, causes. I was with you down in Appalachia. We were helping people farm yes. that time. You have um, sure. the Sea Shepherd and whales, and also you're very active in Los Angeles with the homeless community. How do you how do you choose your causes? Yeah, and here in Austin, we built a whole community of 250 homes we're building now for the homeless. They have a real place to live and a place to work. I choose yeah. my causes. Well, now, of course, we're overloaded with causes, so we're not really looking for any more. But when I have chosen my causes, it's been things that touch my heart, not because of the sadness and how desperate something is, because, you know, I'll run across thousands of those every day. It's something that said, you know, I can make a nice difference here. I'm doing it in Austin. I did it where I was born and raised in Los Angeles. I do it in different parts of the world. But it's something I knew I could make a difference. It touched me in a certain way where I knew I could actively be there and be involved personally, as well as make a huge uh, difference. And then when I leave, if I can't be there anymore or if I don't contribute any money anymore, it'll be long lasting on its own. Mm -hmm. In other words, teach people how to fish. Don't just give them the fish. What's happening in Los Angeles with the, with the homeless, uh, your homeless causes? We have, there's two locations, actually now three for Christmas, downtown L.A., Santa Monica. And we take the homeless, men, women alike, and we teach them how to get a job. We teach them how to do a resume, how to interview. We give them bus tokens. We show them a place to live. We give them clothes to wear and even where to eat. Mm-hmm. So now the homeless has decent clothes, a place to live, food to eat. We teach them, even show them how to go out and get their jobs. And we keep on working with them until they get a job. Then they ring the bell. Example, uh, in 2010, this is one of the best examples. Unemployment in our nation was really, really high. People just weren't getting jobs. Mm-hmm. 3,000 homeless came to Chrysalis that year. 1,600 of them got jobs. That's incredible. And those, what kind of, what kind of uh, jobs were they, were they getting? A cashier, a janitor. Uh, it's a variety of jobs, you know, just all kinds. Are there any real high-paying jobs? Not real high-paying jobs, mm-hmm. but there are some jobs they get that are not just the entrance level, but some that are a little bit higher on, on the on the scale there. People that were homeless for one reason or another had these incredible skills were able to fill a little better job out there. The main thing is you get them working self-sufficient, and we teach them. We don't just teach them how to get the job. How to do the job so well and continuously look at ways to get promoted because of the quality of the work that you do. 
And speaking of speaking of work, a lot has changed since the since 1980 when you got your start with uh, with with Paul Mitchell Systems and the shampoo. If you were starting out in business right now, if you were an 18 year old John Paul DeGioia, what do you think you would, what would you do right now? I would probably do exactly what I did before. Only now I have the convenience of having somebody with me at a computer, so I wouldn't <laughs> have to go down there and typeset my own uh, my own uh, my own business cards or my own stationery. I would do exactly what I did before. And remember this, that if you believe in what you have and you know you're in the reordered business, successful people do all the things the unsuccessful people don't want to do. That's, that's amazing. Well, I think that's a great place to stop. So um, I want to thank John Paul DeGioia for spending time with us today. Thank you for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Well, thanks again. Um, and looking forward to catching up soon. And by the way, Steve, I have you in the new documentary that I just released called Good Fortune. It'll be a theatrical release in June. You're actually in that, believe it or not, uh, tasting one of the new patrons with me. Really? I didn't. I didn't get. <laughs> you know, I didn't get my. Uh, I didn't sign my waiver. No. Well, th- I think this one you won't <laughs> mind. <laughs> what is? Uh, is it about you? What's the topic on? Is it? Uh, it's uh, a Josty Cal who won the Audience Award in Sundance uh, for his movie Fuel. I uh, did a one on me, not with what I have. He touches on that a little bit, uh-huh. but mainly on what I do with what I have. But the most important part, it starts with how I went when I was born and how I went through a lot of adversity in order to get to where I'm at. But every time I was put down or broke or homeless or something went wrong, I, I just went above it. I just kept on going until I made it. It's a good message. I wanted as a message. I wanted to come out as a documentary. If it was on TV one time, I would have been happy. Uh-huh. But we went to several film festivals and a major company came up to us and said, we'd like to do a theatrical release with you. In fact, the theatrical release, I believe, will be in June. The premiere will be in New York and in Los Angeles in June, and I'll be sure you're invited. I'll have to go. Well, I can't wait to see that. Thanks again for everything. The best, sir. Thank you very much. That's it for this episode of The Forbes Interview. I'm Steve Bertoni. If you'd like to reach us, email us at interview at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone sells today. So how do you bring your best sales game every day? Simple. Listen to the Advanced Selling Podcast on Podcast One. Hi, I'm Bill Kasky. And I'm Brian Neal. Each week, we answer listener questions like, how do I compete against a cheap competitor? And Brian's favorite, because he always has an answer to this, how do I meet with a CEO when they won't even return my calls? The Advanced Selling Podcast is where the best go to get better. Listen Mondays on Podcast One and on iTunes. Lowe's knows you'll do spring right by saving on what you need to get your garden growing. We do it right, too, with incredible deals during our spring Black Friday sale, like 19-ounce Bonnie vegetable and herb plants, four for $10. And pick up five bags of Scott's Mulch in store only for just $10. Whatever's on your list, hurry in and save during our spring Black Friday sale. Do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 417 while supplies last. Not valid in Alaska or Hawaii. Scott's offer valid in store only. See store for details, U.S. only. At the border, I'm Ed Donahue with an AP News Minute. At the roundtable discussion today in San Antonio, Texas, President Trump heard something he said he never heard before about life along the border. Many people are dying, and the danger of living here, unless you know exactly what you're doing, is tremendous. This is Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Where are the people in Washington to stand up for these children, these women, these senior citizens? Where are they? Bring them down. Mr. President, let the Democrats come down to Brooks County. Let them come to any of these ranches. Let them see these bodies. Let them see the skeletons. We have the photographs. Attorney General William Barr says he thinks spying did occur on Donald Trump's presidential campaign, suggesting the origins of the Russia investigation may have been mishandled. 
Scientists released the first image ever made of a black hole, revealing a fiery ring of gravity-twisted light swirling around the edge of the abyss. One scientist said science fiction has become science fact. I'm Ed Donahue.